Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 427, Traveling and Turkey Hunting with Cameron and Andy. And I am your co-host, and the guy who is in the midst of a little bit of a drought. And I'm your co-host and the guy who found the two-for-one special. Mm. Two-for-one what? Two coons for one can of sardines and one trap set. Oh, really? They're sharing, yeah. huh? Yeah, I don't, you know, might refer to that trap as the love shack from now on. <laughs> I, I think somebody followed the girlfriend in to have a nice romantic sardine dinner, and they are not lo- no longer with us. Uh, but pretty interesting. I walked up and I was like, sweet, I got a coon. And I got out and walked up there and I was like, that's a huge coon. That's two coons. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had a, it's a pretty large live trap and I, I got two at one time. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. A little Romeo and Juliet action going on, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was pretty impressed. So I was fired up. It was a two for one special. And then the other trap that I could see from right there at a possum in it. So I was like, man, what a day. Yeah. 
and ended up getting four that day, but I thought I was about to get like 10 the way it started. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So it was good. And that was, I'm, I'm up to 190 on the year. I think I should have a good chance of getting my 10 more by the end of this month, which would be 212 months. That's cool. Yeah. So that's, that farm is crazy. I told my brothers when I started trapping and I was like, you know, there's like no coons or anything out here. So it'll be good. You know, the two or three I do catch will probably make a big difference, you know? Yeah. And now I've taken 40 and I'm like, my gosh, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we have more work to do. It just blows my mind how many there are. Yeah. They just don't stop. I told like a coon hunter to go hunt it and he's like, oh, I don't know, man, there's not much woods. I don't know if there's many coons there. And I was like, okay, no. Texted him the other day. I was like, well, I've killed 40, so you probably should have gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 40, that'd been a good night. <laughs> yeah, you, you might could have found one in the small two woodlots in which these all live. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. He's like, yeah, I might go. I was like, well, it might not be as good now. <laughs> Won't be as good, but, you know. Please go. Kill yeah, he's two going or tonight. three more. That'll help. Yeah, he's he's going tonight. He's. I kind of feel bad because his favorite thing in the world is coon hunting and the property where I took him last year and we killed 11 in one hour. He like can't kill any now because I've killed them all. So I feel bad for him, but feel great about my efforts. Mm-hmm. He, he hunted to one again the other night with two different dogs and was like, I didn't even get a bark. Wow. He just like can't, they're, they're thinned out pretty heavy. That's awesome. So it's shocking they didn't move right back in, but you know, <laughs> shockingly. It's shocking that, it's, that they're not like coyotes, where you yeah, trap one and next thing you know, you have 15 to replace yeah. that one. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But anyway, we'll see. I'm, I'm really interested in how our hatch goes on our particular farms this year with all this effort I've put in. I, I have high hopes, very high hopes. Yeah. So we will see. But what are you... You you dry from deer hunting? Is that where the drought is? No, I'm seeing deer, but just my drought is predators. Man, I haven't called not... in a predator in, gosh, probably the last fifteen to twenty stands. Wow, I can't believe that. You should be killing twice as many foxes. Yes, I mean there should be foxes on top of foxes on top of foxes on that piece of property and yet i'm having difficulty calling anything in so yeah i don't know i you know on the topic of predators i saw an interesting study and i should have sent these to you out of putnam county missouri mm -hmm. and they're studying nests and hens and everything and yet again shockingly what they found is mesomammalian predators have a lot to do with the failures wow so in 2021, 75% of nests failed due to predation, and 8% failed due to predation of the hen. So there's 83% failure straight from predation. In 2022, they had a 72.5% nest failure due to nest predation, and 12.5% failed due to predation of the hen. So there's 85%. So you're looking at 83 to 85% over two years they've done the study get wiped out by predators. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Pretty incredible stuff. It's a, it was a cool study. They they studied like where they nested in forest or open fields. Uh, you know, surprisingly to me, the forest nests had a much higher survivability than open field nests. I'm not all that surprised. I mean, it makes sense for if you have the right forest cover, that's a much huge area for them to have to you know 
be predated compared to a field, which will probably be on the edge, I assume. Exactly. And that's where most animals are edge animals. Mm-hmm. And that includes your predators. So, yeah. you know, your predators typically are going to run your field edges and all they've got to do is catch wind. And if they've only got to go 25, 30 yards into the field to get them a little snack or, you know, a nice dinner, then that's easy breezy. Yeah. Yeah, but it's an interesting study. You can look it up online if, if you want to see more about nest survival. And, you know, even talks about in here, they captured 38 different poults. And after 28 days, there were only 10 left. So it's pretty interesting. It yet again just reaffirms that notion of every turkey you do see that's an adult wild turkey. It's like, wow, congrats. Mm-hmm. I mean, you <laughs> you are a tough bird. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's just incredible to me. No doubt. Well, you know, I got to thinking about my results with predator hunting. And, Mm -hmm. of course, I, like most people, are not willing to accept failure without some sort of analyzation to to figure out why I failed. You know, why why would we continue to do something and continue to fail at it if we're not going to try to figure out how to prevent us from failing the next time we do it. That's stupid. That makes no sense. So, you know, we're all going to try to figure out what we're doing wrong or what's going on. And something that, you know, popped into my head is there's a lot more pressure in the woods now than there was before mm. season, deer season started. Yeah, it's true. And a lot so, more folks around. Yeah. So, you know, my guess is we're just having a lot more critters be pushed into being nocturnal even predators. So with, you know, even more nocturnal than they normally are. So, you know, I think it'd be if I can get a good night to do it. And this past weekend would have been a good night since the moon was just like crazy bright and full. Yeah. Spotlight. Yeah. Just go out and, you know, set up on a field and run that predator collar and see what kind of response you get you know, and try that in four or five different locations over the course of a weekend and see if it's, you know, produces more action, which it should anyway, because what I hear from a lot of people that predator hunt is, you know, run that collar at night and you're going to have a lot more success calling predators in. They're hunting and moving around and more anyway. But I think that hunting pressure, the deer hunting pressure, and just human beings being in the woods more, Makes hearing, it more nocturnal. Yeah, hearing more four-wheelers, UTVs, trucks in and out of the woods, and gates banging around and that kind of stuff makes them more nocturnal. So Yeah, well, anyway. you need to be doing whatever our, our guy Jeff Nemnich is doing. He's he's wearing them out, man. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the pile of coyotes they made? Uh, I have seen several pictures like that. I can't remember if I saw Jeff's. The, the one from today on Instagram. So Jeff was on our show a few weeks back. If you are listening and talk to us about predator control, calling coons and calling coyotes. And they killed 28 coyotes in two nights. Wow. And it is a pile of coyotes. Man. So whatever that guy's doing is working. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got way more experience at it than I have. So i yeah. got to give him... I assume Kansas and areas like that are a little easier with those big open fields and everything, too. Yeah, a little bit easier to see. The chances of me getting a 200-yard shot at a coyote, probably not real good. Yeah. Well, 
You want to hop in here and talk about something that I'm ready to do and plan to be doing in 50, I repeat that, 50 days? That's pretty strong. I do want to do that, but I have to say that we're 74 days, 13 hours, 47 minutes, and 30 seconds away from Alabama's opener. Oh, my gosh. It's it's practically here. It's here. (laughs) It's here. I've been playing on the turkey calls a lot here lately, to be honest. It's it's really setting in, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fully convinced myself I'll never kill another one, and I sound terrible, <laughs> and I'll, I, I don't even think I'll ever find another one, you know. So <laughs> I'm at that stage, and we'll probably remain there until I kill the first one this year. Yeah, yeah. So, I was running the diaphragm call this weekend and, and thought, man, how did I forget how to do that? <laughs> Yeah. How did I forget how to sound good? I swear, every every year, we say this every year, but it, it really does happen. It's just that terror that you've forgotten it all, mm-hmm. you know, in the past nine months. It's just gone. The The ability is gone. Yeah, well. But it's not. It's not. Not at all. <laughs> well, I, we not. hope it's not anyway. Yeah, it could be. We'll find out. <laughs> it could be for some of us, but. I've been wrong every other year so far, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Let's yeah. Let's get in here and talk a little bit. You know, we've had yeah. several great guests on to talk about the topic, and we did share more in those three episodes of our personal experiences than we've done in any of the other series episodes that we've mm-hmm. that we've done. So I know there's going to be just a tiny bit of repetition mm-hmm. because of that, but I want to hear. You mentioned last week about something you learned on your first out-of-state trip with me. <laughs> I want to hear what it is because I think I already know, but I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Pack more than what you're wearing for a three-day trip. So first ever trip I went on with Andy, I showed up literally already in my camo, boots on, shotgun, couple shells, and a vest. And was like, all right, man, let's go. Meanwhile, he's putting totes in the back of his truck, you know, all this stuff. I had no idea what I was doing, obviously. And I learned, and Andy learned to remind me, hmm. bring lots of socks. Please. You cannot, you can't have too many socks, to be honest, <laughs> because your feet, if you're turkey hunting, will get wet. I don't care where you are. I hunted in Nevada, and my feet got wet. Mm-hmm. It, it was the driest place on earth, literally. I found the only creek out there to, to jump in, you know. And, of course, the turkey was across it. So your feet will get wet. Bring lots of socks. You might sweat through them. You might walk through a wet wheat field. Bring lots of socks because hunting in dry socks is way better for you and your counterparts who are hunting with you, as Andy will attest. Yes. Because we had to ride with the windows down for many a mile due to my sopping wet three-day-old socks. <laughs> It quite possibly is in the top five of the most revolting smells I've ever smelled in my life. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, I it was myself, and I knew what was going on, so that tells you anything. It, it was pretty rough. So I've learned from that, bring plenty of clothes, bring plenty of socks especially, and that's tip number one. I'm going to go ahead and give tip number two for traveling. I love to drive as much as the next guy. I love to fly also. I am impartial. I just, my goal is maximize the amount of hours I can turkey hunt. So if that means there's a flight available that gets me there 
where I can hunt it an extra afternoon, I'd rather do that. If there's not really a good flight or it's very expensive and I can drive overnight and get there in time to hunt the next morning, I'll do that. You know, whatever means I hunt the most. But with driving, you have to come to the realization with yourself, if you get tired, just pull off. Yeah. I mean, you can tell yourself, you know, oh, I'll make it. It's only another couple hours. You can do that. It's not worth it. I mean, if you have a wreck and die or have a wreck and are injured or have a wreck that doesn't even injure you but injures the car, you have just slowed everything down significantly. Yes. And I've I've pushed it to the limit a couple times, you know, where all of a sudden there's that realization of like, was I just asleep? Did I just miss three seconds of driving, you know? Mm-hmm. and I've decided and started implementing the past couple of years, like if I ever hit one of those moments, I'm done. I'm pulling off at a gas station, rest stop, shoulder, whatever it is, and going to sleep because it's not just your life you're endangering. You could easily hit somebody else, and it's it's just not a good thing to do. So if you're driving and you get sleepy, pull off and stop and just go to sleep. And it even if it's for one hour, if you when you wake up you'll feel a lot more energy. It does not take eight hours of sleep to get energy back in you. But if you're dozing off, you just have to stop and get some sleep. That's huge. And you're exactly right. You know, and it's it was like I said, I can't remember which episode it was that we mentioned this. Maybe it was Jordan, but if you reflect back on the turkeys that you've killed at daylight right at fly down and compare that with the number of turkeys you've killed two three eight hours after fly down if you're like most hunters you've killed way more in that time period after fly down than you have at fly down and we all want to maximize our mornings in the woods because that's when we hear the most gobbling and for Mm -hmm. the vast majority of us that is a major reason why we do this why we do what we do but sacrifice a morning at fly down to live to make the hunt yeah and it's what cameron said is so true as well think about if you did fall asleep and you hurt or killed someone else yeah your life is altered forever can you live with that for the rest of your life knowing that all you had to do was pull over and get you 30 minutes, an hour, two hours worth of sleep, and you could have avoided that. Yeah, it really doesn't take much. You know, I kind of my go-to, this happened when I was driving to meet you. You know, I had flown back from the Bahamas. I had driven eight hours overnight. It was like four in the morning, and I could tell, hey, I'm, I'm hitting that limit where like all of a sudden my head's hanging, you know, for a second. And I'm snapping back too. And so I just pulled off at the, there was a gas station up ahead, pulled off in the parking lot, found a little dark corner there, kicked the chair back. Two hours later, I wake up and it's getting daylight. I wake up, get out of the car, do some jumping jacks, get some blood flowing. I'm back in the car, bam, five more hours and I'm there. And I was ready to hunt, you know, and we had a good hunt that afternoon. We scared a turkey off the ridge and got to watch it fly off. It was (laughs) fantastic, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one that low gobbled us old low gobble that's but, right yeah that yeah. joker he that was a crazy turkey but anyway that's all it took you know and and it really didn't detract from the hunt it didn't 
put us in any pickle and like I made it there fine, but it, all it took was two hours and my body was rested enough to finish out the day. You know, it's yeah. amazing what those little power naps, how, how much energy they provide you. Yeah. And so I, I highly just can't recommend enough. We all have been there. We all know what that you, you know, just be honest with yourself and you know, when, Hey, I'm, I just clocked out for a second or two there, you know, like, when you start thinking, did I just fall asleep in your brain? You probably did. Yeah. <laughs> Pull off. If you ever think, was I just asleep? Pull off. There you go. Well, and I always say that one of the biggest strengths that anyone can have on this earth is knowing what their weaknesses are and minimizing the effects of those weaknesses in their life. Mm-hmm. One of my weaknesses, and we can talk about personality traits and all that other kind of stuff. I'm not going into that. <laughs> Too many. We don't have enough time. One of my weaknesses is when it gets dark, I cannot stay awake when driving any mm. any distance. So am I going to plan to drive from point A four hours, eight hours, 12 hours to point B overnight and be there in the morning to hunt? No, I'm not even going to plan it because I will not make it. Yeah. I know that. It's just the way I'm built physically. And my body says, I I guess it's generations of being a farmer. And yes, I'm not a farmer anymore. (laughs) But generations ahead of me were farmers. And when it gets dark, you go to bed. When it's daylight, you're up. And that's what you do. I have never in my lifetime been someone who could stay up all night long. I just couldn't do it. My body will, it will, if you've never seen anybody fall asleep standing up, then you need to come hang around me. (laughs) I literally can fall asleep standing up. So you put me seated in a car where the white lines continuing to go by and the yellow dashed lines, dash, 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 and I'm gone. The hum of the road noise I'm out, man. So it's yeah. my weakness. It's not going to happen. If that's you, don't just don't even do it. Just yeah. plan to make that, some other arrival. So like, don't underestimate the power of the sun being out and its ability to keep you awake either. Because we've found, I've done a lot of big trips, duck, turkey, pheasant. I've, I've driven some serious miles for hunting trips. And we've found, you know, let's just say you're planning to leave Friday at noon and you would arrive in your destination at like 2 a.m. on Saturday, Mm -hmm. right? You know, long drive. That we've found is the worst way to go about it. You know, in your mind, you're like, oh, that'll be great. I'll be driving and then it'll get dark and we'll be fine. Your body's used to going to sleep once it gets dark after a little while. So you get tired. What we found is it is much better to leave at 2 a.m. on Friday, go to sleep at 8, get up a couple hours later and leave at 2, and get there at, you know, 4 p.m. that same Friday, I guess. Yeah. So it's so much better to leave, start out in the dark, and it get light as you progress compared to starting out in the light and finishing the drive the the gr- grueling last three, four hours is in the middle of the night. Yeah. That That's brutal. And I mean, we've done it both ways. And I'm just telling you, you, you'll start out. And if you can, you just, you have that burst of energy from the sleep you did get, whether it's only two, three hours, you just go and 
you're good. And as soon as that sun comes up, all of a sudden you have this burst of energy. And it, it really is incredible how the difference that makes. Totally agree. So that's for driving wise, if I'm if I can help it, that's how I like to go about it is we usually plan, hey, we're gonna leave at one AM, two AM, you know, I'll try to sack out about eight, seven, whatever earliest my body will let me go to sleep and get four or five hours and then I'm I'm good. I'm ready to drive. And we can go a long way that way. That is a good point. Yeah. So much easier to finish out the drive in the light, I'm telling you. I have experienced it. <laughs> yeah. Some long ones. But you know, that's that's how we go about it. And then I'm gonna kinda let you take over on the flying portion because you've flown a lot more than I have. But another tip driving to travel, if you're going to hunt, you know, state 20 hours away and you want to drive, which I've done, I'll drive 12 hours day one, hunt a state for two days, and then drive the remaining eight hours and hunt the far state for three days or whatever. Having a bridge state is a really good way to go about it. And then if you don't kill in that bridge state and you've heard turkeys or whatever on the way back, do the same thing. And it it's a lot easier to do 10, two 10-hour drives than one 20-hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and you have a day or two in between. It, it really makes it a much more pleasurable experience. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I always plan my trips when I know I'm going to drive them, and it's a long ways. You know, for instance, the COVID year we had to do that because flying wasn't even an option. We had to drive, and we had a 22-hour drive ahead of us, and we stopped off in a state that was about 14 hours away, and then did a eight-hour drive two days later. And it worked out great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, splitting it up is, is good. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, I really want four days in that far state. Well, you know, you, you might be surprised how good the bridge state can be, you know, because we weren't, we didn't have high expectations for that. And I killed the first day in that, in that state. So, yeah, that's how I usually plan my trips, you know, is ideal situation is if I have 10 days or nine days, a weekend, a full week and a weekend, I'll leave Friday, go as far as I can to a state, hunt Saturday and Sunday there, Sunday midday after the morning hunt, drive on to a further state, hopefully hunt two states during the week, and then start heading back and hit that same state again on the way back that I have a license in already. And if I buy a 10-day license in that state, I still will be licensed for that return trip. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I go about trying to get you know, three states in about a nine day period. I like to have three days per state and that's how I get three days per state. Yeah. Two on the way there, one on the way back in one state and six days in the middle. There you go. So that's kind of how I go about driving. And I'm really excited this year about driving. I got a new vehicle that I'm pumped about. It's a Ford, which I've never owned a Ford, but I like this one a lot so far. And it has the generator mode. So it has literal plug-ins in the back, like electrical outlets. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, it's like I have a mobile generator. So I'm going to be able to buy a lot of electronics and cooking stuff and, you know, have boot dryers and everything. I can just plug stuff into the back of my truck. And I'm pretty excited about that addition for this spring. It was a huge factor in why I picked that truck over other competition. Did you like, lay down in it to make sure you could sleep in it before you bought it? I don't sleep in a truck. So if I sleep in a vehicle, I'm kind of like Jordan Barnes. I sleep in the vehicle. I don't I do not do the bed, you know. 
I sleep in the back seat or the I'll just kick back the driver's seat, honestly. I sleep just as good like that as I do in the back seat. Kick yeah. that driver's seat way back. It's almost like I sleep better because I have the comfort of knowing the wheel is right there in front of me if I need to get out of there. And typically, my favorite way to go about it is I have an Eno hammock and that is that is what i camp in that is my that is where i live during turkeys and is in that hammock <laughs> mm-hmm. so the key with those hammocks find you two good trees which i've been to two states that that was more difficult <laughs> task than you than you can imagine but i found two trees that were somewhat okay they've been in pretty good once i've got the straps on them but there weren't many trees but one of those states was Alabama, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, all pine, all two-year-old pines. <laughs> Hard to sling yeah. up a hammock and two-year-old pine trees. Yeah, in the cutover, the, the natural regeneration cutover. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I camp in, that it. hammock. And, and the key for me, I bought this thing called a climate that goes in the hammock, and it goes under you, and it holds all your heat in from below. Because every time I've gotten cold in that hammock, it's because I didn't have any insulation below me. Yeah. And the air comes up below you and gets you cold. So I, I have that climate that I put in the hammock with me, sleep on top of that in a sleeping bag. And I, I mean, just it's like curling up in your mother's arms. It is as comfortable as it gets. And if I don't have my climate, I'll put one sleeping bag unzipped, laid out in the bottom of the hammock. And then get in another one so that I, you just have to have that extra layer of protection below you. I promise if you're going to hammock camp. That air below you will Mm -hmm. chill you so quickly. It's not even funny. And, you know, when I camp, I'm, I'm one who has to be comfortable to sleep. I'm a very, very, very light sleeper anyway. And so... If I'm not comfortable and it's not quiet, I'm not going to sleep. Well, I sleep, if I'm camping, I will blow up an air mattress. And if I can get my, if if I'm camping close to my vehicle, then I've got a power inverter in my truck. Like Cameron said, his has the, the plugs in the, in the bed of the truck and in the back of the truck as well. So if yours doesn't have that, buy a power inverter and use that and, I will blow up my air mattress and sleep in that, but or sleep on that. But even in a sleeping bag, that air in the air mattress gets to be air temperature and it will get cold. And so that's something to think about. You know, if you have a very warm sleeping bag, then it's probably not much of an issue for you. But, you know, because of where I camp and where I primarily use a sleeping bag, it's not extremely cold. So I don't have one of the heavy duty, you know, very insulated sleeping bags. And so Mm -hmm. I just have to dress for the occasion or I will even use a buddy heater inside my tent. And oh yeah, I found that that is worth, you know, whatever the cost of those little propane tanks are per night, because you're going to use about one per night for that. Yeah. Yeah, those things put out some serious heat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a good good tip. And, you know, those hammocks and everything, I was able to fly all of that with me last year when we flew for that trip. And I put most of it in the gun case with the gun. And my brother Thomas, he, he literally, all he took was his gun case. And he took all the foam out of it, like every ounce of it, mm-hmm. and just wrapped his gun in all of his clothes and and his sleeping bag and his hammock. I mean, this man had this gun case, like when they opened it at the airport, it probably exploded. <laughs> but 
He had so much stuff in there. Yeah, like a coffee maker. I mean, he had <laughs> we were like setting up a house out there. Like it was nice. But, That's awesome. But you can do that, you know, if you have a hard sided gun case, which I've said this before, get a rolling gun case if you're gonna fly with a gun. It it must have wheels unless you want your forearm to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's by the time you get there. It's, you want wheels. It's not going to happen. Your forearms are not going to look like Schwarzenegger's in a short period of time. So get the gun case with wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is brutal. I have done it. I have done it, and it sucked. I had a gun case with wheels before the next time I flew. So I ended up buying two gun cases instead of one. So heed the advice early. Mm-hmm. And by but the way, you- if anyone wants a gun case... A double gun case that doesn't have wheels, I have one for sale. So hit me up, Andy at IamTurkeyHunting.com. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I'll sell you mine that doesn't have wheels. Too. <laughs> You're welcome okay. To so there are two gun cases without wheels for sale. And yeah, just shoot me an email. I'll be glad to sell you mine. And Cameron, you know, I can get you in touch with Cameron so you can buy his too. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice one. It's only very lightly used. It has tears and and sadness all over it from me walking through the airport with it. But outside of that, mine's covered in blood and turkey feathers. I'm not going to tell you where the blood's from. Yeah. Well, how, uh, when you fly, I know we kind of got into the flying aspect. I feel like a lot with Tanner Burns and you shared some of your experiences with flying, but I know you told me one time, one of your buddies forgot almost forgot to check his gun to see that it was unloaded yeah that was going to be the first thing that i brought up you know number one you when you're traveling you absolutely want to know not only what the game laws are where you are going but you want to know what the gun laws are where you're going as well how you need to keep that firearm when you're traveling from point A to point B in your destination state or states. Number two, do you have to have a plug in your gun? Yep, that's a big one. So, you know, generally not a big deal if you are like Ron Jolly and me and you carry clippers, ratchet clippers with you wherever you go, then you can cut a plug. But if you don't, you're going to have a hard time cutting a plug for your shotgun. And that it will be the silliest ticket that you'll ever get. And you will be PO'd at yourself for a long time for getting that ticket from the game warden. So know those laws. That would be the first thing I would say. And then, you know, as far as gun laws are concerned too, you know, taking that soft case with you. And I think that was something that Tanner brought up, taking a, a soft gun case or yeah, even a gun hard. sock which is virtually no weight at all. Yeah. Just to put your gun inside that while you're traveling around inside the vehicle. Know how you need to store that gun as well. Some states, you can't have that gun where you can reach it. It has to be locked in the trunk, or if you're in an SUV, it's got to be locked inside a locked case inside the vehicle so that you cannot get your hands on it while you're driving. So no game laws and gun laws yeah and that gun sock you told me this the first time i ever flew to put my gun in the gun sock in the foam of the gun case because otherwise it would scratch the paint off eventually or or slowly wear it down that's a great point it'll eat the bluing off and it will also just like sandpaper i mean the foam is that's right it'll rub off your camo dip 
if your gun's been dipped. So, you know, that gun sock around your your firearm inside your gun case when traveling is a big deal. So what Cameron brought up was true. I had a buddy, we were traveling together. I have a two-gun gun case. He said, I'm bringing my shotgun by to you. You know, if we're leaving on a Friday, this he said, I'm bringing it to you on Thursday. So he brings it to me Thursday afternoon. I go to put it in the gun, uh, or I get it from him in the driveway of my house. And I say, you know, is it unloaded? Yep, it's unloaded. Okay, not a problem. I go to put, and it's already in a gun sock. So I go to put the gun in my gun case. And I said, you know, I just need to check it just in case. Mm. Look in the gun and it's loaded. Wow. So not only can you kill somebody, but you can get somebody thrown in jail. Yeah. The airlines are not going to play if you bring a loaded gun into the airport. No, not at all. That is not fun. Oh, the other thing, speaking of not playing around, do not play around. You should already know this if you've traveled anywhere by air. Do not play around with the baggage people or TSA people about your weapon. Yeah. It is not a joke to them. It is extremely serious, and if you want to miss your flight and really ruin your plans before you ever leave your home state, then disregard what I just said. Yeah, and you made a really good point earlier about the game laws. I would say key ones to focus on are tagging of the bird. What's proper? Do you have to tag it? Is it a physical tag? Is it an electronic tag? Do you have to go check the bird at a check station? Some states require that. Yeah, physically check it. Yeah, those are that's one that is always different in every state. They all have their own method. Yeah. Number two, on public land, is there like a WMA permit you have to have in addition to the turkey license? Some states you have to have like a public land access permit in order to hunt the public lands if you're doing that. Yeah. I would check for that. Number three would be, like he said, plug in your gun. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I'd even want to put five heavy turkey shells in my gun anyway, but because if I miss him three times, I'm probably not going to get him on the fourth or fifth shot. Yeah. But, you know, make sure that you're following that law. And then, yeah, transportation of gun, how that is legally required in that state. And, you know, you definitely don't want to violate the Lacey Act of transportating game across state lines illegally so make sure the state in which you killed that bird has been tagged properly in that state there's record of it being killed in that state and you have any parts kept with you like tanner said labeled from that state Mm -hmm. i always put what state this bird was killed in on the baggie that the beard and spurs are in if it's not with a physical tag showing that because you do not want to get in violation of the lacy act yeah. I can promise you. Yeah. Or just do what Tanner said and just eat the bird while you're there. Then you don't have yeah, to worry well, about I mean, keeping a part attached to it. One of the states we hunted last year, you had to have the leg still attached or whatever, and we killed some turkeys. And we're like, well, let's start eating, boys, because we don't have enough cooler space to be putting fully legged turkeys in the cooler yep. for long. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, they got long legs. They do have long <laughs> legs. Yeah. 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 And, you know, obviously make sure... You understand the bag limit. You understand the laws. Some states restrict the shot size. You can't use number nine TSS. Mm-hmm. You know, in some states, you shooting time can defer in states. Yep. Look at what time the state closes. Some states close at noon for half the season and open half, the whole season. Yep. 
There's so many nuances. Just make sure you know that you know. And I'm kind of the coordinator of our trips. I usually will go online, go to X state's page showing all the turkey regulations and hunting regulations, copy and paste it into a document. If we're hunting three different states, I'll do those all three on a document and email that to the other three guys I'm hunting with. So that if somebody does something stupid, it's not, they were informed. (laughs) Well, and you've also, in that instance, you've got something that you can quickly reference. Yeah, because it it runs together, you know. It does. Is this this state closed at noon or one, you know? Yes. The one I hunted yesterday closed at noon. Well, this one actually closes at one. Or this one, I think... This one One allows Sunday hunting, and that one doesn't. Yeah, no Sundays. I mean, there's so many nuances. And if you're hunting public land, you Mm -hmm. have to look at that WMA's regulation. Mm -hmm. It could be totally different than the state. Yep. So you have to make sure you check on that. I mean, just information is king when it comes to travel turkey hunting. You, You need to know the laws. You need to know everything about the laws. Yeah. So make sure you do that. And yeah. I, it's getting me pretty hyped because I'm freaking ready to hit the road. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, yeah. So well, one one other thing I'd like to add about flying yeah. is something that I've learned over the past. It's been recent, you know, and, and I have flown to so many destinations to hunt in the past that I, I really can't even count which ones. But something I just learned is, well, I didn't just learn this. I'm about to make a statement. I'm cheap. I didn't just learn that. I've known that for a long, long, long time. But I am a very frugal person, and it drives me insane to pay an overweight baggage fee. Mm-hmm. So I'm allowed one personal item on the plane. That's my computer bag because I have to work when I take these trips. So my computer bag goes with me. That could be, you know, I equate that to basically a purse for a woman, and the airlines look at it that way. So I have my computer bag and I have a carry-on. I have two checked bags, one of those being my duffel or my suitcase and the other being my gun case. My gun case, like Cameron said with his brother, has clothes and binoculars. Take a knife, pack a knife. I can't tell you how many trips we went on where we had to buy a knife because none of us had a knife in our gun case to clean a turkey with. So I pack a knife. I put any calls I don't want to the chance of being broken, I put them, I cut out a place in the foam for that call to go in my gun case. Just more protection with that phone being in there and having a hard-sided case. So when it comes to my duffel bag or suitcase, because I'm taking two pair of boots, I am taking two pairs of boots, period. And I will consider where I'm going. Yes. I'm going somewhere that's arid and I'm going to be climbing hills or mountains. I'm not taking my high rubber boots. I just know I'm going to wear hikers and I'm going to have a wet pair of hikers at the end of the day. That's where the second pair of boots comes into play. (laughs) So I'm going to be bumping up against the maximum 50 pound weight limit on my suitcase every single trip I go on. That's the other thing. I have a suitcase scale that I weigh that thing on. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. If my suitcase scale at the house registers my bag at 49 pounds, I am going to look through that bag and what I have packed in it. And I'm going to figure out when I get to the airport, 
and I put this bag on their scale and it weighs in at 52 pounds, what am I going to pull out and put in my carry-on? And do I have room for it in my carry-on or do I have room for it in my computer bag? My gun case is already going to be packed to where I can't put anything else into it. But because my suitcase scale at the house is not calibrated the same as the scales in the airport, and don't think for a second, you can't go from one scale at this ticket counter down to the next slot to that scale and put your bag on there and that it won't weigh differently because a lot of times it will. So you never know what your bag is going to weigh when you get to the airport, but do know what you can pull out of that bag and throw into your carry-on so that your bag is underweight. And yes, you're toting around a little bit more weight in your carry-on, but you'll live through it. So, you know, keep an extra 50 yeah. bucks or 100 bucks in your pocket. You'll be happy you did that. So, yeah. That's and just, what I what yeah. I did last year flying, I actually took a cooler and that was my bag on the way there. Mm-hmm. All my clothes and everything went in the cooler and flew that out there. And then used that for the whole trip and flew it back with all the turkeys in it. And yep. we split the cost of that extra bag and just put all the turkeys in there. And it worked out great. So that kept us from having to stop and buy a cooler when we got there. And it was a great case for anything like my French press coffee maker that was glass or anything like that could go in there. And I didn't have to worry about it because it was in a hard-sided cooler. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that I always take, rubber gloves pack of those cheap little rubber gloves yeah when you're out camping for 10 days you have to clean some turkeys if you're so fortunate really nice to put those on clean the bird take them off throw them away and you're still good you don't have to go scrub for 20 minutes to get the blood out of your fingernails you know (laughs) yeah and that was something that i picked up from you as well and that's you know they weigh nothing yeah they're they're so easy and it really is nice to have i mean it it saves you a lot of time and just keeps your hands from getting disgusting when you're trying to also cook and everything else out there it's it's nice to have clean hands yeah you even did it we were staying in a motel and yeah you, Lord you put yeah. rubber gloves on and cleaned a bird out there in the yard of the motel and it's I, just easier i saw you doing that and i thought god I got to go in and wash my hands for five minutes. Yeah, I'll be sacked out. You uh, were asleep I when I got, yeah, when I got back in the room, you were asleep. Yeah, I whipped those gloves off, hopped in bed. See you, Andy. Yeah, that was five minutes. I could have gotten five minutes more sleep I could have gotten. <laughs> and those are precious minutes. <laughs> it matters. <laughs> it does. I swear it does. It yeah. Hey, you do that over 70 days of hunting and that adds up. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. But, yeah. you know... It's, it's, there's so much to this that one person can't give you everything that you need to know in, in order to have a seamless problem, problem free trip out of state. If you figure that part out, I'd, hey, come on the show. Seamless, problem free out of state. I'd love to see it. Yeah. And, you know, so there's going to be some trial and error. Another thing, a flashlight. Mm hmm. Headlamp. Preferably headlamp. Yeah. You know, little things like that, I think we take for granted so much because we just, you know, I bet you've got at least one in your truck and you've probably got mm-hmm. one in your pocket of your hunting pants that you wear duck hunting. Yep. Got to have the headlamp and extra batteries for it. 
but you don't think about it when you're packing for a trip. Exactly. It's an easy thing to forget. And man, does it get annoying having to hold your phone flashlight in one hand, Mm -hmm. cleaning a bird at night or trying to cook at night or just trying to get in your tent at night, whatever it may be. Yep. Just gets old. And, you know, speaking of cleaning birds, some Ziploc bags. Ziploc bags are huge. Those are easy to forget. Yeah, and more than you, more than just for meat, you put the beard and spurs in there. That's how we do that. Label them. I put my turkey fans in a Ziploc bag. I just bunch it up, stick it in the Ziploc, and zip it all the way down to the feathers, and keep it bunched like that for travel. And then when I get home, I open it and hang it up. That's how I transport my fans. You don't, you don't have to have them opened up and staked down within an hour. You, you got ten. 12 days before you, you know, I've had them for 10 days bunched up like that. And then I open them and stake them up and they're, they're good to go. And clean as much meat off of them as you can before you do that. Cause that will be some rotten, yeah. stinky stuff if you don't. Yeah. And yeah. And you may have gotten some flies in there before you got a chance to put it away. And yeah. 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 It Maggots is crawling in them is not good. It is. And I'm trying to think of anything else, you know, portable calls. phone chargers. Yes. Yeah, that that extra having that extra little battery pack for your phone huge. Absolutely. Especially if you're on Onyx a lot, your battery's going to drain out. You know, midday your battery's dead. You don't want to just be sitting in the truck waiting for it to charge up. With yeah. that battery pack out, I turn it on. It's, while it's charging up, I can use the phone, and then it's fully charged, and I can run it back down again. <laughs> yeah. And recharge yeah. that battery pack overnight. Yeah. One thing I do when I'm traveling by plane is I will wrap my calls in some sort of clothing. Yeah. And if I'm, this may sound a little, all right, it's going to sound a little political, but it's just, it's the truth. Some airports handle and are much more used to having firearms and accommodating hunters than other airports. If I'm traveling to an airport where I know they're used to seeing hunters come through, I'll take my calls and I'll shove them down into my boots. Mm -hmm. You know, again, they're wrapped in some sort of clothing. Maybe it's just a sock. Good safe spot, though. Yeah, I like what, I believe it was Ron said, you know, he uses bubble wrap. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. I may use that, but clothes work fine. And, you know, the other thing, too, is if you're traveling to an airport that probably is not used to seeing as many hunters, a box call can look like many different things when it goes (laughs) through an x-ray machine. So They don't know what it is. (laughs) You may want to keep that up you know, towards the top of your suitcase or duffel bag mm-hmm. so that they don't have to dig through the entire bag to get it uh, put back together. You know, and I think I mentioned that with Ron as well. So, you know, things like that. But look, if you've got a nil cost box call. Yeah, maybe don't take that one with you. Leave it at home Yeah, on those trips. Seriously, if you, if you think you're going to shed a tear or your bank account is going to be upset with you or both, if that call breaks, leave it at home. Leave the call at home and take a different call with you than that one. Yeah. So, you know, any sentimental call. You know, I've got a I've got a box call that my dad gave me. My dad doesn't turkey hunt, but for whatever reason he had this box call. It's a Lynch box call, probably cost fifteen bucks back in the day. <laughs> but he gave it but to me. It means special. something to me. Yeah. You know. So I'm not taking that call. It stays here. It can go with me on when I drive to go on a hunt. So 
things like that. Kind of keep that in mind as well. My number one tip for traveling, just go. You'll figure it out. It's one of those things that every year you're going to come up with something that you didn't do the year before that was better. And it's just a learned thing, you know, and hopefully tips from this series will have you prepared for maybe that first trip or, or help you if you've traveled several times. The key is just go, just like turkey hunting. The more you go, the more successful you'll be. And you just got to go. And, and chill out, relax, and enjoy it. My dad, yeah. I, I don't think he invented the, the phrase, but he always says the journey is half the fun of the trip. And that's a fact. So relax and enjoy the trip. And just know if you're flying, you are going to have a flight that's delayed that causes you to miss your connection. That means I'm probably on that flight with you. <laughs> Cameron is there somewhere <laughs> waiting, so look for him. But just know it's going to happen. Yeah, You're out of control of what happens as soon as you buy your airline ticket and you show up at the airport and go through security. You're out of everything that happens from there on is beyond your control. Roll with the punches and just know you're going to have fun. You are going on this trip to have fun and you can make that trip what you want to make it. You can make it fun or you can make it miserable. You are in control of that. That's it. That's it. I think that's a great way to end this discussion. I think so too. You want to drop a favor? Yeah, I was going to throw a uh, shout out to Jake. I assume your last name is Lambert. Jake Lambert, one of our listeners. He signed up for a TFT membership after last week's podcast. So thanks, Jake, for doing that. You you took the favor of the week and did it. Yes, indeed. And I want to give a shout out as well to Jason Lee, who reached out on IG and has a picture of two beautiful what look to be Rio turkeys in a bunch of snow. Oh, cool. And said that he listened to episode 315 about three times, and he tried to employ what he learned in that episode in his first winter turkey hunt attempt, and it worked. So, Heck yeah. Man, cool I, stuff. I like that. That's awesome. So congratulations yeah. to you, Jason. Man, those are two beautiful turkeys, and looks cold where you are. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hope hope y'all are getting out and traveling some this spring and enjoy it have a fun time slow down enjoy it thanks for listening yes indeed thank you guys so much for tuning in this week we know that you have choices we appreciate you spending your time with us we hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week goodbye goodbye thanks for tuning in you were just listening to the turkey hunter podcast if you enjoyed the show please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.